0: The Space God Memoirs. Season 2, Episode 24. We were falling. The bulky, cube shaped vessel I stood inside was hurtling towards the ground. The green of the northern forests was getting closer by the second as our ship plummeted down. Gravity and inertia pulled at my insides. I could feel it all. Yeah, that means that the cube's inertial dampeners are broken, said Berger's voice from within, ever the mechanic. I placed my hands on the cube's controls, willing my thoughts into it, reaching out to the ship's unseen mind, hoping to regain control. But nothing. It wasn't there. The thing was dead. Whatever remained of its psionic connection trickling away into the ethers, a twisting crunch came from below. The floor sunk slightly. The engines, destroyed. Jabir stood up from his seat beside me and crouched down, placing his hands on the floor, humming to himself. Flow of Atra ran from his reptilian form into the ship's innards below. I was about to ask him what he was doing, but was distracted by movement from out of the view window. There, one of the Veer Vigley hovered a few feet away, following us as we fell. The pilot's face, inset into the underside of the crab-like craft, glared at us its bulging eyes devoid of emotion. We need to evacuate, stated Zarathra from behind me, her voice raised. Head for the octahedron. I could see Demania following Z to the back end of the ship, towards the docking area. Before I could respond, the Viglae in front of me fired, a blast emanating from its tendril gun. I twisted aside, using a push of Atra to propel me out of its path. Plasma burst from my right, erupting through the window. Wind rushed inside. I latched onto the nearby pilot seat, feeling the air gusting around, pulling at me. Zabir was not so lucky. I held on for dearest life, watching the lizard man flailing his limbs as he was lifted into the air and immediately sucked out of the new opening in our ship, vanishing from sight. I didn't have a moment to mourn him. My guts churned as the ship continued to fall, the green land growing awfully close. Between the trees there were patches of water and moist looking ground. The marshes? I also couldn't see if the two ladies were still on board. Xerathra and Demania nowhere in sight. Parts of the cubes rear area aflame and belching smoke. Had they made it to the octahedron? I had no way of knowing, and probably no way to easily reach either of them now. All of my friends were gone. The ship was totally scragged and I was about to be totally scragged too if I didn't find a way out. The sound of another blast came from outside. The cube had been shot again. I felt the whole cabin lurch, then thrust rapidly forward. I honestly might have been freaking out if I had been in any normal frame of mind. But after that whole past-life ordeal, I wasn't even sure if I could freak out anymore. At that moment, I was feeling less like Kef and more like Garvel Thread, that badass robot slayer, nerves of steel. Thus, I calmly held onto the secure pilot's chair while the ship plummeted, the last blast causing it to spin through the air as it rapidly descended, the air whistling through the exposed interior, the land appearing through the window and then vanishing again as the cube turned in its fall. I knew I had one chance to make it through this, and I had to do it right. Nobody here to save me now. I couldn't survive in the cube. Burge's instant calculations told me that at this rate of fall, my chance of living was minuscule. I had to jump at the right time. One glance out the window and I could see the trees in detail, their rubbery branches visible now, sticking up out of the watery landscape of the northern marshes. A low-lying veil of green and blue pools split by floating masses of dirt and spongy vegetation. In seconds, this cube would crash into them. I let my remaining fears go. Then I let my grip go, pushing myself off the captain's chair and towards the hole in the ship, waiting an instant until I could see the orange-tinted clouds above. The air whooshed. I careened out of the hole, using my atra to guide my course as I directed it to spin in a field around me dislike the lessons. For an instant, I hung in the skies, my atric field keeping me aloft. Beneath me, the cube craft fell, smoke pouring from it as it dropped towards the low-lying vale where the Grenadrian marshes lay. Then gravity overcame the strength of my meager resources, and I too began to fall. My attention was pulled away from the cube's fate and towards my own. I did my best to slow that fall, concentrating on maintaining the spin of air around me, using the unseen forces of the universe to give myself that bit of lift I needed. Just like in the training, I pictured the Atra forming into the shape of an enormous hand and carrying me aloft like I was some child's doll. I knew it wasn't enough. Definitely not enough to make me fly and not even enough to let me land safely, but it was enough to give me a chance. Below, a great marshy lake spread out its discolored waters pulsing with life. I knew that landing in that was not a good idea, but nearby was a tree, a big, rubbery tree with long, hanging limbs. That could work. As the winds blew around me and the land grew increasingly close, I directed my energies into propelling myself towards that tree, using the remaining Atra to slow my fall as best I could. I was there, even with the tree. One final push, and I tossed my body towards it, aiming for one of the larger limbs. I reached out for it and grabbed, my arms wrapping around the branch, the rest of my body slamming into the nearby trunk. I only hung on for a second, losing my grip as the wind got knocked out of me. I fell again, this time only briefly, my back crashing against the next limb down. It hurt a little, but this time I reached backward and grabbed that tree branch using my momentum to swing down onto the lower, ropier limbs of the tree, which I shimmied down until I touched onto the twisted roots at the tree's base. There I sat, relieved at being on the ground again, my head still spinning, my gut's all squishy feeling. I had the immediate urge to barf, leaning forward and retching the contents of my stomach onto the spongy ground, mostly water, as the Nyar diet consisted of barely any solid foods. Then I stood up and looked out over my surroundings. The tree grew at the edge of a shallow lake, where blue algae blanketed the waters, its shores home to thick reed growths, with spongy tufts of land forming a rather unstable path across its width. The air buzzed with the drone of insects, and the occasional whistle of a flarn. Yep, these were the Ganadrian marshes just north of the Hironol Woods and south of the continental chasm that I had flown over so easily during my last trip here. I could smell it before I really saw the extent of it, the strong earthy odor of wetness and decay. There was also another smell subtly mixed in, a sickly sweet aroma that would float across my nostrils and then vanish. I wondered just what, in the green ocean, I was going to do. I was stuck back here on Arubis, all of my allies were missing, or maybe dead, and I was in the middle of the grossest place on the planet. I caused this. I lost focus. It's all my fault. The thoughts came up. Self-doubt. Blame. I imagined Zarathra lying broken and dead on the ground, or crushed within the cube's wreckage. My fault. I pushed those thoughts into the back of my mind. This wasn't the time for that of crap. My first idea was to reach out telepathically to one of the Nyar. I had gone through that process a number of times in training, and it seemed easy enough. So I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and drew my focus inward. In an instant, I could feel the tingly connection to the monadic network, sensing but not quite seeing the many mental pathways I could take. Immediately, a message popped up into my thoughts, in Z's voice. Do not use mind-to-mind communication on the surface of Aruvis. The Vare have been strictly monitoring the local Neosphere, and your location will be instantly pinpointed. Scrag that, I supposed. Just like on Gaxonal 4, where we had to establish a direct communication to reach our fleet. All this nice stuff, and we couldn't even use it. I shrugged, turning my focus outward to the swampy morass around me. I figured I'd find where the cube had come down at least. Maybe the others would head for it if they weren't all dead. That's what our pre-mission protocols had discussed, meeting up at a known location if we were separated. The area ahead of me was way too overgrown to actually see the cube, big as it may have been. But the moment I thought of it, a little notice popped up in my head. 2,678 meters to crash site, chirped a thought that wasn't my own. Great visual waypoint, "'Sure,' I answered back with a thought of my own. "'Then it showed up, a clear red arrow in the distance, "'pointing through the reeds and trees. "'Just an overlay in my visual field, I realized. "'Not an actual physical arrow. "'Convenient!' "'Standing up from the tree, I got to my feet "'and took a step towards where the arrow pointed, "'which was just down the other side of that big lake, "'a few kilometers away. "'I took my first step onto the spongy, soft, moss-covered ground.' A bit wobbly under my feet, I began my trip down a muddy path that rose just above the water, delving fully into the swampland. Everywhere there was life, from the soft and fuzzy moss that carpeted the ground to the many varieties of plants that grew just about everywhere they could. I saw pitcher-shaped plants that stood as tall as men and exuded that aforementioned sickly sweet smell in the form of a nectar that coalesced at the bottom of their pitchers. Flies as big as my fist were buzzing and swarming around these. As I drew closer, I could see some on the insides of the pitchers, too, getting stuck to the walls as they were lured in by the smell that seemed to so intoxicate them. Happily, the aroma had no such appeal for me. More varieties of vegetation clung to the sides of the pools, from fleshy-looking ear-shaped fungi to bulbous growths that pulsed in or out as I walked by, as if breathing. From the hair-like mosses that clung to every tree, to those green slugs that crawled slowly across the ground, the marshes were alive. I had been through here before. This had never been a nice place, the metaphorical armpit of Arubus. The swamps had been dangerous, yes, with grabber vines aplenty, nasty amphibians that would bite Arubus' leg off, and whatever. But as I continued to walk, There was something different about them now, a vitality that had never quite been there before, a grotesque and twitching livingness to it all. About half the plants were of the animate variety, their leaves twisting gently to follow the light. I made sure to keep well clear of certain trees, the ones with masses of serpentine vines wrapped around them. These too moved as I passed, reaching not for the sunlight, but for me. Up in one of them I spotted a Reuven figure, hanging from its neck, swinging as the vines moved. A corpse. An old one. Not one of my companions, but someone who had died here a while back. Their body now drained of its fluids, and hanging like some desiccated prune, black with mold. The whole place made my skin feel crawly, like all that fragrant air somehow contained tiny organisms that would get under my skin and make me part of the marsh, where I would twitch and vegetate forever. I paused in the midst of my walk, where the swamp grew a tad drier, the sloshy waters giving way to a small grove of limpid trees. Destination within visual range, 510 meters away, stated the mental prodding from the monad. I spotted a straight-angled shape through a gap in those trees. A few steps past them and the cube came into view or rather the half of it that I could see. The ship stuck halfway out of the marshes, looking like it had sunk a good way into the soft ground upon impact, its silvery surface reflecting the sunlight, several tears upon its hull. The area surrounding the house-sized transport was littered with dislodged mud, shredded vegetation, and splattered water. I briefly attempted to reach out to the cube's computer mind again, but it was totally dead, just like before. Again, looking at the broken starship, I felt like a scragging idiot. I had dropped stealth. I had gotten distracted and gotten a shot out of the sky. There was a darkness welling up inside, wanting to emerge, self-hating and self-pitying all at once. No, I didn't let it. First, I had to focus on not being stuck in a god's swamp. I began heading for the cube, skipping across the drier segments of land until I was right up to the thing's hull. The visible part of the wall rose up three meters above the muck, but I found an easy handhold where the hull had cracked during the fall. Seconds later, and I had hoisted myself up onto its flat roof, both Rayleigh and Burge from within agreed that this thing wasn't going to be submerging into the swamp anytime soon. Thus, it was as good a place as any to rest and wait. During our training, we had discussed protocols for being separated, The idea was to find a secure location everyone knew about and give the others a chance to find you. This was probably my best bet for that. I plopped myself down on the edge of the cube's wall, looking out over the marshes. My only concern was that the Veer might be able to find it too. Hopefully I could scrounge up enough Atra in my system to go unseen if that was the case. right then I was exhausted. All my reserves emptied by that crazy sky jump. The sun was starting to go down in the north skies. Less than an hour from setting, an orange light spread over the marshes, causing the trees, shrubs, and moss to flicker as it touched on them. The grassy mounds sticking up out of the water would periodically undulate, letting loose throaty hisses almost as if they were talking. It would soon be night, and I was glad I was up here and not down there among all that crawliness. Yeah, these swamps had changed, become more alive, more aware. Was this the work of the Veyr? Those Scraggers used life like the used technology. To them, it was a tool, a weapon, something to be molded to their whim. Just like back on Gaxonal 4 with those vines that long ago covered the entire moon. The horrible flesh turrets outside Ganadria. The weird membrane around the whole city. They were doing something here. Changing the planet. It wasn't long before the sun had set, casting the scene in black. I stepped towards the center of the fallen cube ship and leaned my back against a segment that stuck up, dislodged in the fall. There, I did my best to rest. I was tired, yes. My muscles achy, my eyes heavy, and an empty feeling creeping into my insides, a sign of Atra depletion. But I knew that this body, a Nyar body, needed less rest than a normal person. In fact, the Atra itself was said to nourish the body, refreshing it more than simple food or sleep could. Atra could be absorbed from the surroundings, from life forms, and there were plenty of them to be had here. I shifted my view to that zone just below Physicality, where the Atra waited. And yes, it was plentiful here. The thick golden particles glittering in the air between the plants, flowing through the waters below. It was as if the entire vocale took on a photoluminescence, the plants glowing with vivid hues of colors I had no names for. Swampy gases hovered over the pools, shining their own pallid, otric light. Most of the plant life went still, but in some of the nearby pools I could see clustered mouth things just beneath the illuminated waters, pulsing and undulating in a regular pattern as they breathed in their aquatic sustenance. It was horrifying, weird, but beautiful in its own manner. I began my breathing meditation, willing the Atra to flow into my lungs and inundate my subtle body. My nerves tingled as it entered me, and it ran in a current throughout the unseen system's linking body and soul. I closed my eyes, but continued to see the Atra beneath their lids, spinning in patterns of light. There was enough here, in this vivacious place, to sustain me, to empower me. I drew in more with each breath. Slowly, my muscles beginning to relax, my body starting to fall into a kind of rest state. Hours passed as I did so. Around me, the life forms of the swamps twitching and writhing in the dark. Images flickered into and out of my mind's eye. The crash. The journey here. My friends. Flashes of my prior lives appeared all leading back through the centuries to that barely-remembered lifetime where I had been a mysterious pilot who destroyed himself on Aruvis. Intentionally, he had not committed suicide, but intended to be reborn in this world, for some purpose now forgotten. Suddenly, another image appeared in my mind, searing magenta eyes set amid a berry-red face. Manali, that deadly Vare assassin, She was watching me somehow? I shut out the images, activating something like my stealth mind to turn them off. Not now. I needed to recharge, not dwell on weird visions. As the hours of the night drifted away, it was just me and the Atra, caressing my insides with its subtle energy. A glow in my field. The time seeming to pass at a rapid rate. As if I was asleep, but also aware of my surroundings all at once. But it felt different this time, I realized, breaking my trance. The Atra was different. It was heavier, thicker. I opened my eyes and looked out over the wetlands beyond my fallen cube. The sun was now a sliver on the southern horizon. The sky was already alight. Within me was an edge, a tightness. The Atra coursing through my body was empowering, but it was more fiery than before, like a heat beneath my skin. Weird. I wondered what was causing all this. Was it the marshes with their strange life, imbued with strange energies? I stood up, taking in a breath of warm-moist air. Moving a few paces towards the edge of the cube, I gazed out again over the marshlands. Still largely darkened, but light slowly starting to creep in. There was zero sign of anyone out there. Neither the Veyr nor my companions Scrag, how long was I going to wait? I wasn't certain if anyone else was even alive. Jabir had been sucked violently out of the ship's cabin at a high altitude. Maybe he had his ways of surviving that, just like I had, but I couldn't be sure. I was starting to like the silly old lizard. Had I gotten him killed? Demania too. I didn't know the girl too well, but she had a warmness to her. She'd been willing to sacrifice herself for me before and z of course things may have been a bit weird between us the feeling's uncertain but i didn't know how i'd live with myself if i'd gotten her killed because my sloppy noobish idiocy had caused the ship to get shot down but i hadn't caused it i stopped that train of negative thought nope that was bakibra pulling me out of my stealth mind distracting me i directed a mental dagger of annoyance her way wherever she lurked in my inner realms There was an immediate response, a stirring from within, a wrenching sensation, my thoughts a jumble. Then Bakibra was standing there opposite me, on the roof of the cube. Her bronzed armor contrasted against the swampy scene, shining golden in the growing sunlight. The knight, standing there as clear as in the flesh, wore a sour expression on her face. She glared at me as she stepped forward, a sharp steel sword in her hands. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts... Go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoy the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.